Just getting a confirmation it's coming through. There we go. Okay. Technology. You got to love it because if you hate it, it's not going to work well for you. You got to use it in life. You guys ready to learn how to honor leadership? I'm so excited. This is going to be the most amount of passages we have thus far in the sermon series. So let's get into it. Let's start with Timothy. Let's get to the notes. Your help uh, there, Oscar, would be beneficial. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 talks about the leaders of the church being worthy of double honor. And so we want to understand what that means. We'll get into that a little bit, and then we will talk about the rest of the passages here. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Paul says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality, <clears throat> excuse me, and to do nothing out of favoritism. Would you grab me some water, please? For whatever reason, it's just started doing this. The passage here quotes Old Testament passages, which shows us that the law still has benefit in the New Testament, even things like how to treat your animals. Some of the laws had to do with agriculture and the, the farming lifestyle. And so we see that Paul takes utilization of that and applies it to us. If you could scroll up just a little bit more so we could see the full quote, please. Thank you. When he says, for Scripture says, he's showing the authority that Scripture still has. Now, just because the Old Testament is not applied the same way doesn't mean it doesn't have the same kind of authority. Thank you very much. Pardon me as I enjoy this. Just because it doesn't have the same application doesn't mean it doesn't have the same authority. Scripture has authority from the time it is given until the new age comes. And I don't even know then it might still bear the same authority, but Jesus will let us know. The applications may change in how they're dealt out. The authority may be in its fulfillment and how it's used now in the new covenant. It may still remain if it's a moral law. Or it may now have um, what we might say allegorical or different kind of interpretation into the new covenant. Or a practical way of authority, but not necessarily binding upon a covenant. So it's still good to feed an ox if you're using it to tread out grain. God would want you to do that, even though you may not uh, be doing that. You may not be in the world where that's happening, but that's still good. The dietary law, though may be a little bit different, Jesus says that it was never the intention of the dietary law to teach strict dietary codes. It was meant to show cleanness and uncleanness in, in the example of the heart. And so the heart is the focus in the new covenant, but the authority of, of, of the scripture still teaching us metaphorically or allegorically through clean and unclean of the Old Testament is applicable. So like how you don't want to eat pork, you don't want to sin. So that scripture still has authority. It's just not applied the same way. So just notice that, that Paul says it's scripture, because that's why he says all scripture is profitable, and then he uses it in an authoritative way. Its application is different. It's a bit allegorical in this sense because the elder is not literally an ox, but it still has power. The next part is the worker deserves his wages. That's from Jesus' teaching. Now, we have to ask the question, how did he know that? Now, it's from Luke's gospel, which was a companion of Paul, and so we would probably assume at some point, because we know Paul wasn't an eyewitness to those words, we, probably assume, we assume that probably at some time, Luke on his travels 
with Paul begins to do his research to write his gospel. And that's what's amazing about the gospel of Luke is that it is prefaced with research. So remember that faith is not despite evidence. Faith is making a decision of trust with evidence. Always remember that. It's making a decision to trust God based on evidence. When you go through the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, all of them had reasons, reasons to believe. It was not blind faith. God comes and speaks to Abraham. That's a lot of evidence to trust what he has to say, if you ask me. If God speaks to you, tells you to leave your home, you hear an audible voice, there's a lot of evidence there. It's your choice to have faith and to trust that God has spoken and that he's going to keep his word. The same thing is with Joseph. God gave Joseph a dream. That is evidence that God wants to do something. Now he has to trust, have faith in what he doesn't see. He doesn't see his family coming before him in the actual world. He doesn't see all of that honor, but he does have evidence to believe, to trust that God will do that. So eliminate from your mind any kind of unbiblical definition of faith where faith has more to do with make-believe, wishing upon a star. Whenever I hear preachers preach like that, it reminds me of how ignorant preachers can be and the great need of Bible college. So faith is never unreasonable, it is never unreasonable, and it's never without evidence. Faith is the evidence of things you're hoping for, things you have not yet seen, but it is not based on blind faith, hopeful, wishful thinking. It is based on the evidence of God's word, his promise, his character, what he has already said he will do. Does everybody understand the difference? That's biblical faith. So if you have thought about something other than that, it's not really faith. So here we see that Paul quotes the Old Testament and Jesus to give us the understanding that he knows, he knows the scripture has application to the New Testament and he trusts that what Jesus is saying is equivalent to the Old Testament scripture. So Luke does his research, because remember, Paul was not an eyewitness. Luke does his research from eyewitnesses and gets that Jesus said this in one of his parables, that a worker is worthy of his wages, and Paul, based on that evidence, trusts that that is scripture. Isn't that amazing? Paul affirmed the writings of Luke as scripture. That's a big deal. Because some people might say, well, Luke wasn't an eyewitness. He's only interviewing people. He's not as good as James. Uh, I mean, as good as John. He's not as good as Matthew. Mark is the disciple. John Mark is the disciple of Peter. So that's where we get the, the gospel of John Mark. Um, and we call it Mark, but it's his full name is John Mark. And so people might say, well, Luke, you know, he wasn't an eyewitness. And even to this day, some people try to say Paul changed Christianity. And yet Luke's gospel confirms what Matthew, Mark, and John wrote. So there's a, collab a, a cooperation there. And then we see that Paul not only views the Old Testament as relevant as Scripture to the New Testament, but he also affirms his companion's gospel as scripture. There is so much evidence in this Bible of its authenticity. Do not let people and their weakness deceive you. Oftentimes when I talk to people about scripture and different things, they say, well, I used to believe this uh, about scripture, and then now I believe that, and I'm not a Christian. You know, I believe what I'm believing now, and I'm not a Christian anymore. And when you listen to their arguments, their arguments are so weak. And so what that tells me is, as a Christian, you were a weak, naive Christian. As a Christian, you were an Oompa Loompa. That's why when someone came around and just blew over your little house of straw, you became like this. That will not happen to someone who has a house built upon the rock of God's word. This is not make-believe. This, this is evidential Christianity. This is based on reason. 
reasonable faith. And so Paul, in teaching us to honor leadership, gives us just one of the greatest understandings of Scripture right there by quoting the Old Testament, applying it to us. So it's not like how Andy Stanley has said that the Christians were were without a Bible in the New Testament time until they compiled all their writings. What an ignoramus thing to say. And I'm glad Jeff Durbin debated him, but what an ignorant thing to say. What, what just a downright stupid thing to say. The, the apostles absorbed the scripture and applied it so beautifully with the Holy Spirit based on the revelation of Christ in so many beautiful ways that, like I said, he applies a scripture metaphorically, allegorically from the taking care of animals to taking care of elders. I mean, it shows you how highly they thought of those scriptures. And if you never had the New Testament canonized, but you only had the epistles applying, excuse me, the gospels canonized, but you only had the epistles of the ones applying the Old Testament to the New Testament in light of what Jesus did, we would still have the entire gospel. The gospel is amazing to see Jesus' teaching move and, and, you know, in real time with people. But just if we had the epistles interpreting what Jesus did for us, we would have enough to understand the gospel. So it's absolutely ridiculous to say that they didn't have a Bible, that it wasn't based on Scripture, and they try to sound spiritual, and they say it was only based on the person of Jesus. The person of Jesus would have been nonsense if it wouldn't have been based in the Old Testament Scripture. What was Jesus fulfilling? How do we know even Jesus was who he said he was? Maybe he was a Hindu god of some kind. Jesus was fulfilling actual Hebrew scriptures. That's how, that's how we knew to recognize him once our, once our heart was open to, in a sense, because obviously Jews had the scripture, but they weren't recognizing him. And that was in spite of, in spite of the scriptures, not because of the scriptures. But those who searched for Jesus in the scriptures could clearly see like, oh yeah, this is really all about him, you know. So let, let us just be very humble when we come to the Old Testament and see that it still has application, just not maybe the same way. Now, applying it to leadership, we see that Paul says these elders who are preaching and teaching are worthy of double honor. He doesn't really talk much about the other kind of honor. He just mentions the honor of finances and not uh, starving them. But the obvious application of the first kind of honor would be listening to them and following their lead. Does everybody get that? He says they're worthy of double honor, for the scripture says don't muzzle the ox, and then he just goes on from there, but he doesn't really say what the first honor is, but you're supposed to assume I honor the, the elder by listening to their preaching and teaching. What you would not have probably assumed, which is why he's emphasizing it, is that you should also give financially to them to support them. Now, whether or not the elder... Uh, still wants to have another thing on the side, or whether an elder wants to receive that or not. That's up to them. But the church should give so that the elders can be supported. And that's one of the ways that we honor our elders, and that's how we should in the church to do that. And it's our desire in this church to see all of you to be honored as elders one day, to be receiving monies from the church, and to start your own ministries, and to have the people give to that, and so that you can always sense that your needs are being met. But if you don't want to take it or if you want to have something alongside of it, that's fine. But as I read from your post today, never make that thing you're doing alongside of ministry the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. Even if you have an amazing job, maybe you're a doctor. Like I've heard of pastors who came from being doctors in different professions. And maybe there's a time you're doing both of those things. As amazing as being a doctor is and as much education as you had to get to do that, you're still, your priority is still to be in ministry. So there's a lot here I'll be kind of going back and forth with, like you honoring up and then people looking up to you and, and receiving what they're, what they're giving. You know, So you're kind of like right in the middle. You're honoring and then you're being honored. And that's kind of where I find myself as well. So when you are in the church, you are to honor leaders. You are to give them your respect. You are to listen to them and then you are to give them your finances. Let's keep going. We have another passage to get into. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, talking about honoring godly leadership. We will talk a little bit about when they're not godly and what you should do, 
but let's just keep with the positive nature of leadership, honoring those who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 and onward, Paul speaking, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father has served, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs, for he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill. He almost died. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. I mean, just look at all the honor going on here. This is like an honor sandwich. Paul is honoring Timothy. Paul is also honoring Epaphroditus. He is then mentioning about how Timothy and Epaphroditus honor him. He then wants the congregations to honor them. Isn't that amazing? He's honoring them, they're honoring him, and he wants the congregation to honor them. It's an amazing taste of the New Testament church and how honor was so key in relationships. And so a lot of this is scripture heavy, but I do have some of the buzzwords to make you go, mm, nah. here's one of them right now. Here's one of them right now. You can never receive from someone without honoring them first. You can never receive from someone without honoring them first. We see that there was no way Timothy could receive from Paul all the gifts that Paul had to give and impart to him unless Timothy was willing to stay with him. Remember we learned about John Mark in his gospel earlier. John Mark left on the mission field at a bad time and got disciplined by Paul and Barnabas tried to change Paul's discipline. And Paul then rebuked both of them and separated from them and kept going. Sometimes people try to assume that Paul was in the wrong because Paul wasn't as gracious as he ought to have been. No, we know who was in the right because who is the rest of the book of Acts about? Paul or Barnabas? Okay, and do you ever hear from Barnabas again? No. So Barnabas was wrong. Now, you can say that that was just because that was Luke was Paul's companion, but the Holy Spirit led Luke. So that is what it is. Barnabas would have had a different place in the ministry if he would have followed Paul. And this is where you have to mature enough to understand not everybody who's wrong in Christianity goes to hell, but you can miss out on blessings. So you cannot receive from someone unless you honor them first. Barnabas did not honor Paul in the way he should have. Barnabas wanted to keep John Mark in a place where he ought not to have been. He needed that discipline. And after the time was served of discipline, Paul asked for him to come back. And we don't know that he did, but we assume that he did and hope the best for him. But he was sat down for a while and then brought back. And so we see that Paul gave the honor of having the impartation of his gifts to Timothy and not to Mark because Mark left. And there is not an epistle written to Mark, but there is an, two epistles written to Timothy. Do you see how you can miss things in the kingdom of God? 
You have got to get over this idea that because I'm not looking at pornography, because I'm not fighting anymore or cussing like I'm good. No, you need to continue in your spiritual growth. You can be missing out on things that God has intended for you based on your attitude of pride. So be very honest with yourself. Am I honoring those God has put in my life so that I can receive what they have to give me? Because you could be the di- it could be the difference between you being a John Mark and you being a Timothy. And Paul says that a lot of others even left him and probably never came back not even like a John Mark, so it could even get worse from there because Mark was still used. God used him to write a gospel. He was brought back into fellowship with Paul. But we see that there was probably others that never even came back, and Paul even lifts off some of those. And they became heretics or they became backsliders unfit for the ministry, and Paul could no longer affirm them. We then see that Paul brings up Epaphroditus, and he says that this man is laying down his life for the work of the ministry. And that he wants them to welcome, he wants them to welcome him back so that he can continue to preach and to teach and to lead them. And he says, honor people like him. Imagine if you were alive during that time and you got into some kind of an argument with Epaphroditus and you're thinking to yourself, I know more than him. You would not only be dishonoring him, you'd be dishonoring the apostle who set him in that place. And then you would be dishonoring the chain of apostolic authority that Jesus set up. We don't believe in a chain of authority given to popes, but we do believe in it given by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. And so this is not an unorganized church. It's an organized church, capital C Church, that's being handed down through faithful, trustworthy people who uphold the word of God. And we can trace our lineage all the way back to Peter through the different movements and the ones that came forth. We're not here as rogue disciples. We're here in honor of the church that has been prevailing <clears throat> Excuse me, for many generations. And if you were to dishonor a man like Epaphroditus, you would be dishonoring Paul and all that Paul stood for. And it's the same thing here today. If you dishonor godly leadership that's upholding the word of God and sound doctrine, you're dishonoring the apostles and Jesus and all that they stand for. When we think about what draws us to leadership, it should be the God we see in them. And we should see that they're truly giving us the word of God. And so disagreements over discipline, <clears throat> excuse me, disagreements <clears throat> over, just got to get this out, <clears throat> excuse me, disagreements over discipline, disagreements over how something is done, these are not important compared to the great role that they play in our lives. The leaders that I have kept in my life all throughout the years of my Christianity, the same ones, have disappointed me, have done things differently than the way I would do it, have not always um, agreed with me, and so forth. But that is not means of separating them out of my life. Just because certain beliefs that they have on non-essential issues are different than mine or because they discipline different than the way I would discipline or they discipline me in a way that I didn't want to be disciplined. It's not means of breaking away from them. God has ordained them to be in my life. Why was I in their life to begin with? Why did they love me so much? Why did they care for me? Why didn't they ignore me like all these other pastors did? Why did they care for me in such a way? And so if I were to separate from them, ought I to do it based on the things that we talked about already in Timothy about those who sin? And maybe now would be a good time to tie it together. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you'll get these passages, Lord willing, and all these points. But I Wanted to go through them first in a general way and then start really picking out points here. But let me just stop right here. As we saw in Timothy, it says those who sin, make sure you have the correct witnesses before you accuse them. But if it's true, rebuke them before all so that they'll be taught 
uh, so that the congregation, rather, will be taught not to sin. And so if I've been a public figure to you and I have sinned, my repentance ought to be uh, public as well. My rebuke ought to be public. And so that's why if you are in a position of a life group leader or a youth group or anything like that and you sin, we want it to be dealt with with the people you have impacted and affected. And so I believe in public repentance. I believe in telling people your business so that they understand why you're not there anymore. That's part of being in church. That's part of the responsibility that we have. And it's to, if this is, go back to the passage here, please, in Timothy. It's so that others might fear and that they themselves will take serious the things of God. Verse 20 says, but those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. And so anyone that's ever been in leadership here who has sinned has had to repent before the people they were leading. And when they don't want to do that, they normally leave. And then they try to say, well, my issues weren't that big of a deal and this and that and this and that. But no, they were in sin. Slander is also sin. Rebellion is sin, by the way. And they were in sin of sexual immorality or whatever. And they didn't want to take their reproof in front of everyone. They wanted it to be on the slick, on the secret, on the sneaky sneak. And then they didn't want the people that they're now spreading their lies to to be in the meeting with us to hear the reproof. Now people could still choose their own sides and do whatever they want to do, but that would just show their stupidity. If you have a group of elders talking to someone that you're looking up to and following, and these group of elders are all agreeing that this person is not right with God. Their leadership is not healthy. For you to go and follow them, you're going to receive whatever comes on to them now. Whatever sickness the head has, the body has. And so it's not trying to speak a curse like we curse people who have left our church the wrong way or so forth and so on. It's just telling the truth. If you come out into the rain without an umbrella, you get wet. If you go out into the world of Christianity and ministry without the blessing of God on your life and without godly leadership, you're going to suffer for that. And it always comes in a time, in a way you're not expecting. So at first, things may look good, and it may appear right. I look at one of my friends and his great disrespect towards our Bible college and all the things that he had going for him. And he was doing a healing ministry and all of this, and it went on for years and years. And yet he was bitter towards the school. And I got involved in his life because I thought maybe he had changed and When I had invited him to come, I paid for his ticket. But then Chancellor told me, Brother George said, he has not made things right. So then I'm at a disadvantage now. I have to go back to him and make sure he goes back to the school and makes it right. After I've already bought the plane ticket, he gets offended. He doesn't want to do it. He then, I tell him he can't come. So I lost my money on the plane ticket. This is a true story. I didn't hear about him until I was watching a mockumentary of a man, an atheist from Europe, who wanted to show how gullible Christians are. And I should have many of you watch this mockumentary before you keep believing all of this stuff from Todd White and some of these other guys. I love them as people, but a lot of their legs stretching, a lot of just handing out money and telling Jesus loves you, is it, it is not where you want to be, my friends, okay? I'm just telling you right now. As a matter of fact, remind me to put it up for their devotion. I want them to watch it. When he comes to America, he comes, this atheist, as a healing evangelist, and he wants to show how gullible people are. He literally learns the trick of how to grow your leg. He takes psychology courses on how to get people in the moment to not feel pain by simply giving them adrenaline, by telling them how great they are and all of this. He literally mocks what these ministries are doing to the T, but nobody really supports him. He wants to have a healing crusade. Guess what healing crusade minister partners with them to put on the crusade? My friend. I am literally watching the mockumentary, and I am like, you've got to be kidding me. This is my, I'm watching this, and then my friend comes on the screen. 
I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, and you will see it. And while my friend is having his meetings and affirming this is a man of God, my friend is calling him a man of God, introducing him before he comes on the stage, all of these things, you, you then see the pullback in the confessional, and the guy is just mocking the whole process, pitying him, pitying all of his followers, saying, look at how easily these people are duped by charisma, a little waving of the hand. And actually, the man towards the end reveals himself. And he really looks at those people as just, he feels sorry for them, being deceived by people like my friend. Because he says, how how could you guys ever believe this? I'm an atheist. I don't even believe any of this. And so, yes, I do think Todd White is a Christian, but I just think they're just doing a lot of silly stuff, and you guys got to learn how to stay away from that. Stay away from that nonsense of growing out legs. Stay away from every time. It's just, do you feel better? Do you feel better? And then they just show you. Uh, I, I, I saw one that somebody shared. Sometimes they're from our church, and I just don't want to get into it. But literally... He takes the woman up out of the wheelchair. This is not Todd White, somebody else. And she's kind of limping on it because she had like an ankle brace. You know what I'm talking about? And then he says to her, he says, well, that generally happens after people first get healed. Their leg is not used to it. But you're, you'll get your full strength back. Come on in a little bit. I'm like, you are a liar. My Jesus, when he heals, gives it to you. Now, some people be like, well, what about the one with the man he didn't see right? Man, come on, Jesus gave it to him that same day. So they, you know, this progressive healing nonsense to get away with stuff. And, and I know God can progressively heal at times, but, but they, they just twist these things to get away with their charlatanness. Why, why is it you need to give this person money? Why is it always the same? Uh, you, you're hurting in your, your arm? You're hurting in your arm? Oh, you're not, what about your brother, your uncle, your father, your mother? Oh, they are, get them on the phone. What is this? What is this nonsense? You're hurting in your back? Guys, almost every single person hurts in their back, in their arms, or in their legs. It's the joints you use the most. Are you listening? Anybody got back pain? But yet nobody in the wheelchair. No one's limbs are growing out. This, this becomes mockery to us. And I know I'm taking a little bit of a rabbit trail here. But it's just ridiculous. And so I watched my friend. You see, he thought he, thought he was better than Brother George and SU. He's better. He's smarter. And no judgment of God around here. Sky is as clear blue as it's ever been. I am just happened to do a new crusade with this guy from England. But I'm blessed. You see how it just slipped in? I could keep you here with other brothers, other sisters. They look so good on the outside. Over time, maybe it works out. I actually thank God for the crashes that happen sooner than later because less people get hurt along the way. But sometimes God uses that as a form of judgment on the people who are following them. God uses it as a form of judgment. I think of another friend went to SUM. He was so bitter towards SUM, and he would always disguise it under, I just disagree. I just disagree. And so I was naive because he had a great personality. And so I loved him. Some of you know who I'm talking about. I won't mention his name. But because he had such a great personality, I, I went against my better wishes and accepted his excuse for his bitterness as he just disagrees. But over time, sin began to get into his life. And then when he fell in sin as a pastor with an SUM intern, instead of humbling himself to the leaders where he got those interns from, he became even worse in his disrespect. As a matter of fact, when I heard of the news, I was doing the wedding in Arizona with Jerry and Tony, and I had not felt an anxiety attack since years and years and years ago. But when I heard that he had fallen, I suffered an anxiety attack for the first time in years and years and years because it was so troublesome to me. And God does not bring anxiety, but it was because I had not been on my game with him. And it hit me so hard, and I didn't run to Jesus. I just started circling in my head. 
I started to become afraid. What if I did, what, what, not I did, what if I ever do something like that, if it could happen to him? And I just started tailspinning. I'm like, what if I lost my marriage? What if I did this? And it was all the devil. And it was because I gave him a place in my heart by not honoring my leaders as I should have. I, and, even, and this was even their fault because they were giving him interns, which is a whole nother discussion. And I've tried to be that for the school at different times going, I'm behind the scenes. These people don't like you. But they would tell me, oh, Joe, you're too hard on some of these guys. You know what I'm saying? I should have known better and just said, I don't want anything to do with his ministry until he gets this stuff right when I'm in personal relationship with him and I feel peace. Otherwise, I never would have felt that anxiety. I'm telling you, I would have been at 100% peace. But I felt that anxiety because I had given him a seed into my life, a place into my life because he was such a shucker and jiver, man. He could shuck and jive. But he fell, and great was his crash. But I bring this up, not to say that, because you've already heard that kind of story, but here's the story I wanted to bring up about him, is that when I visited his church, because he wanted me to do some consulting, he had something, the people that followed him all had something in common. They were all these little hipster church hurt, but they were really butt hurt people that just had issues with discipline and church discipline and church organization and church structure. And so you, when I got around them, I could tell they were a band of misfits, not in a cool way. So, so be careful about how you use those terms. You're a band of misfits. We're all misfits. We're all this. We're all this. You're a misfit towards the church of Jesus Christ and the godly leadership? Because you, you better be careful about that. You're going to reap some misfit stuff up in here Hide your wife, hide your kids, because when church gets messy, it gets messy, y'all. It gets messy real quick. Women start cheating on other wives with the women. Got stories like that. The gentleman that came here for some counseling and from coaching to launch his church, he was a pastor. His wife cheated on a elder's, a deacon's wife, lesbianism. Hide your wife, hide your kids. When stuff starts getting out of order and people don't want to live right, it goes down and it gets, it gets ugly. But always godliness brings it to the surface. Godliness brings it out. And see, dishonor is evidence that something is not right. That's another one. Listen, put this down. Dishonor is evidence something's not right in their heart with God. When you see someone who is full of dishonor towards those who have loved them and cared for them, I don't care if they say it's just a disagreement. I'm telling you, my biggest mistake way back when with old boy was that I fell for that. No, it wasn't just a disagreement. There was stuff not right in that person's heart. And it went on for years before it came out. And then... Instead of all those people admitting they were wrong about how they were treating pastors and how they were doing this, no, they went further with him to affirm him even in his sin. You're still our pastor. You're still this. To the point where he said to those very leaders who had entrusted him with the people he abused, he said, I'm not going to even let you restore me. I'm going to do my own thing because those people now wanted him to be their idol. Don't stop leading me idol pastor so-and-so. It's like you read about in that story, the, the prophet who was given 10 shekels in a shirt to be the prophet of, the, of that tribe, you know, of that group. It's like people get something out of a compromising pastor. They get to continue to live in compromise. That's why so often, like, I've named names here, but I don't want to do it so that they get upset with me. But there's people right now that are in a lot of trouble and they're about ready to be exposed more. They've already been exposed, and they keep hiding it and hiding it, and there's going to be some stuff falling apart in their lives. I'll say it after I turn off the mic here to you guys. But I can guarantee you when that junk comes out and that exposure comes out and more stuff comes out, everybody's just going to keep rallying behind them because now they take it as like, you're attacking my dad. You're attacking my, my mama. You know, I got to stick with, I got to stick with family no matter what happens. And I say, no to that. I was going to say H-E double hockey sticks, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> I know. 
I'm like, I'm trying. Nobody's talked to me in a while from SU, by the way, but I'm just trying to mind my P's and Q's. I got enough stuff I'm doing right now to get another call. You know what I'm saying? So as I get a little bit embarrassed, we love you SUM folks who listen to us. We know we're the radical ones. We know we're the weird ones. So I just say no to that. Uh-uh, you ain't doing that around here. If we get into sin, if I fall into sin, don't be loyal to me above the Scripture. The Bible literally says don't take anyone uh, uh, and favor them above the Scriptures. Don't do anything with partiality. Let's keep going. I'm just all over the place today, but the Scriptures will help us. 2 Corinthians 8, 22. In addition, we are sending with them, Paul speaking again, our brother, who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There is nothing more disappointing than when someone doesn't honor our people. I don't care who they are. If they're a close family member to me, if you don't honor what I'm honoring, I don't want to be a part of what you're a part of. It's just that simple. That's another thing. If you don't honor in the church what your leadership honors, you are outside of what God is doing. You need to honor what your leadership honors. If I honor Lester Summerall, honor Lester Summerall. If I honor uh, David Wilkerson, honor David Wilkerson. If I honor, honor what I honor. You can trust what I am putting before you. You do not have to follow them above Christ. Of course, not. don't follow me above Christ. But you need to honor what your leaders honor so you can be in unity with them. Honor who are my favorite preachers and teachers and authors. Honor them. Look into their lives. I was reading a book that I hadn't known that even existed by Lester Summerall the other day. I found it at a pastor friend's house, and he let me borrow it. I filled up the bottom of my waste paper basket with tissues, man, snotting and just crying, reading these things. Honor men like that. Honor women like that. I was writing Brother Anthony the other day, one of my great... Uh, long-standing leaders in my life, and I was saying the gospel truck and things that we're doing is always a reminder to me of what you poured into my life. And I said, what an honor it was to be raised up under apostles like you and prophets like Sister Joanne Miller. You see, as I was arguing, debating with this Roman Catholic about the Pope and all of that, what a joke the Pope is. What a joke. Even right now, there's so many Catholics that don't even receive this Pope. Uh, many of the Catholics now are upset with this Pope. And it just shows the joke of what that office is, okay? I said, but you don't know what I know about the church. I've been raised up by apostles and prophets, not some Pope I have to be ashamed of. Prophets like Joanne Miller. And I wish they wrote more. I wish they put more out there. I've told, you know, I've asked Brother Anthony a hundred times, would you please put out a podcast? I've showed him how to do it. I've asked Justice to, to just record him. I said, Justice, why don't you just sit in the service, man, and turn on your phone and just do like what we do uh, at, for our meetings. Just turn on your phone and point it at him. I want to hear what he's saying. <clears throat> I can't hear what, what my elder is saying. What is wrong with you guys? I'm serious. I've rebuked them all because of that. I've rebuked them all because honor has to go both ways, doesn't it? They need to honor me and hear me in that. We can't listen to any of their chapels for chapels. None of this. They don't record it. What a shame. Now, of course, it's not a big deal. God loves them. I love them. They, they know my heart is right when I tease them like this. But, uh, you know, I just, I'm so grateful for them. And I wish, like I said, Sister Miller would write a book or have her sermons out there so we could put them more in front of you guys. But we do come from a godly heritage. That's why when I put out that Leonard Ravenhill little snippet, that video was so encouraging because he was rocking the megachurches with the gospel and he was talking about what it's like to be a preacher of the gospel and what, what a mighty man of God to say something like that. You know, he, he at that time was... The, the one that everybody would bring to the conferences. So he was a very popular speaker, and yet he was rebuking these churches for not going on the streets. And maybe some of the people that were listening to him got offended by that, but he's not going to apologize for that. He was old enough at that point to be like, man, I don't care. 
I'm telling you guys, this is what it needs to be. And so many of the warnings of that generation, man, I just cannot tell you, emphasize this enough, that what you don't honor, you lose. Come on, write that down. What you don't honor, you lose. We have not honored these men and women's legacy, and we have lost their power and authority, their testimonies. I mean, we now think, and that's, that's when I saw, you know, Willow Creek coming up. I knew where all that was going. God gave me a gift to see it, okay, guys? I'm not better than anybody else, but I saw where it was going. And I said, this is an opposite direction of where our, 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 our spiritual leaders told us to be. They told us not to fall for this, not to be a part of stuff like this, not, not to give our heart to things like this. And, and so many of those guys who followed those pastors are now apostate backslidden, or if they're still pastoring, their churches are so lukewarm, no gifts of the Spirit, no altar calls, no powerful encounters with God. What you don't honor, you lose. And so think of it like this. You're honoring what Christ honors. If you don't respect Lester Summerall, you know how much pride that takes to, to disrespect that man or his ministry or what they taught us? This is what you are literally saying. I don't care, Jesus, what you did 100 years ago. If it wasn't with my generation in tight, skinny pants, with a light show and a smoke machine, I don't want anything to do with it. We're the only ones that you should care about right now. That's why when I, when I listen to these guys preach and they have no honor for the past generations and then they mock it, I understand it's one thing to tease style. I understand music style. I understand it's one thing to tease dress codes. I totally get that, okay? But to take it to a serious level where these guys take it, so many of them, and they all start off the same way. I was raised as a church kid. I was raised like this, and now I'm not like this anymore. And you know what? Your parents should be ashamed of you. They should be ashamed of you that you're not like that anymore. Like these guys that are in their 30s are talking about like, like in the 80s and 90s, we were legalistic. Like, bro, what are you talking about? I was in the church in the 80s and 90s. It wasn't legalistic. And I always talk to these guys. I was just talking to one the other day. He's one of my friends. He had went to Bible college. Now he's an entrepreneur, and we're doing some business stuff together. And I was talking to him, and I said, bro, because he put up a post that said all that. I said, bro, we went to the same places. What person are you talking about? What pastor are you meeting is like this? Tell me their names. What professor in your Bible college taught you you had to do more to be more for Jesus? I said, I'm not assembly of God anymore, and I understand they can be super traditional in some ways. That, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we were all still wearing suits and all that. I said, but I have never heard an assembly of God minister talk the way you made that post out to be. Never. Never in your Bible college years. What professor are you talking about? I said, they, they taught you the gospel. They never said, we are saved by our good works. Our legalism keeps us sanctified. I've been in all of those meetings with you, in Brownsville meetings. I've read their books, all these powerful men. They never talked like that. Here's what it is. These guys got in sin, and they perceived that message as judgmental. Just like with you guys in this church. Joe is so judgmental. Metro praise Joe. You'll hear it from other people. And then you're thinking to yourself, no, they're not. Like, what are, what are they judging except what the scripture says to judge? They're not making up their own standard of judgment before you. They have literally simplified it to just following the commands of Jesus. And then it, we're judgy or this and that. I mean, my goodness, what a redonkulous generation this has become in the popular sense. Now, I know there's a remnant here, but I, I want to encourage you, look for the remnant and honor those who are still honoring what God's done in the past in a new way. There's this, this gentleman with tribal music that sings hymns as he's prophetically singing. I heard his, his song. Did you know what I'm talking about? He's so awesome. And then Stephanie Grieger had did a song with them, and the song ended, and then he said, I believe it's him, but it could have just been someone else in the audience, said that song is like, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And she's like, oh, we, we could sing that next time with it. And then someone, because the video's gone out, but the audio's still there. And then someone goes, but we still rolling right now. We still rolling. And then someone starts singing, which I think is that gentleman, starts singing, oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And I'm like, see, that man is honoring. That man is honoring. I'm not saying Stephanie wasn't. I'm just saying like his heart was like, that's, that's what we used to sing growing up. 
That's what we used to sing growing up, guys. Like this, this whole song you put right here with that 21st century twist on it, it is no different than what we sang growing up. But we'll just sing it right now over this melody, but it's, been, it's the same message, guys. And so that's what I love. Daniel Kionda just put out a, a post very similar to that to worship leaders. Hey, get, get the congregation singing again, you know. Sing some hymns every now and then. Tell people about how good God is. Give them hand clapping, you know. So often in this generation, we think we're the first one to worship with the crowd. Do you know that these guys would have 10 crusades, 10, 15, 20,000 people? Some of them didn't even have amplification. And they would be singing, clapping, you know, all of this. Now we think we're the first ones to preach to 20,000 people. You know, like, oh, you don't, you, you don't understand. You know, I, I preached to 20,000. John Wesley preached to 20,000, dude. My heroes preached to them all the time, filled up stadiums. We, we don't have to do it like the world. Do it like Christ. In other words, don't do it like uh, Kiara. Or Shakira, Shakira rather, sticking out her tongue being all nasty. I didn't watch any of it. I just saw that meme coming out. And I'm like, that's exactly what our people are like. You know, people are just nasty up here now on stage, doing nasty stuff, trying to be like the world. Man, stop that. Have fun. Be casual. I understand there can be a difference in fashion. But honor what is not, honor what doesn't change like fashion. Honor that in every generation. Honor what Christ honors. Let's go to the next passage. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. Remember your leaders. Remember them who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is literally how we're supposed to tie that scripture in. A lot of people don't understand how to tie that scripture in. They think that's in, in the context of the, uh, the deity of Christ or something like that, which of course it is because that was the foundation for that statement. But it's not the context of the statement. The context of, of the statement is not that Jesus has always been God. The context of the statement is, if Jesus was with Abraham, Jesus will be with you. If Jesus was with Peter, Jesus will be with you. And those of y'all 2,000 years in the future, if God was with us, God's going to be with you. That's the context of the verse. It's the same Jesus that did what he did there, can do it with you now, and will do it with our children should he tarry. <clears throat> Remember them. Consider them. Write down these words. Remember them. Consider them. Imitate them. Have confidence in them. That's how you honor leadership. You remember what they teach you. You don't break off and break away because of minor issues, because you don't get along with them. You don't get along with your mom all the time. You don't get along with yourself all the time. Come on. You already broke your diet. I'm already changing my plan right now for my New Year's resolution. <laughs> Got to go a different route. Weight Watchers not working for me. I go back to calorie count. I don't like the points anymore. I'm upset about it, I'm telling you. And then, and then people are going to break off over silly, silly, silly things. Remember, what does the Bible say next? Consider, imitate, have confidence. Skipping a few verses of verse 17, have confidence in your leaders. Submit, number five, submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this that their, their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no benefit for you. And then number six, pray for your leaders. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. So one more time from the beginning, please. Let's get all six points here. Remember your leaders. Consider their way of life. Imitate their faith. Have confidence in them. Submit to their authority and pray for them. Now, what do you do, you know, if they're not good leaders? Well, if they're trying to hurt you, get away fast. If they're starting to teach something that's wrong, try to help them get back on track with the other leaders. Hopefully all the other leaders are not buying into it. And then lastly, if it doesn't work out, then move on. That is okay. Jesus is your savior, not a man or a woman. But has it come down to that? I mean, honestly, you've been around the church long enough. You've seen the stories. Did someone try to touch them, hurt them, violate them? Did somebody change doctrine on them? No. Why do they leave? They leave because they don't remember, they don't consider, they don't imitate, they don't have confidence, they don't submit, and they don't want to pray. That's it. 
And I was there, too, as a young Bible college student. Some of you have read it in the 201 book. I came there young, only being saved a few months in the Lord, thought I knew everything, and then they start rebuking and correcting me, and then I think I know better, and I quit the Bible college because they said, you either do it this way or you got to go. And I said, I guess I'll go. But then at the gas station, I knew I was wrong with God. God used just my simple greeting that I would say every day is a good day with Jesus to show me I couldn't say that, so something was wrong. And then I called up the leader, and I repented. And it wasn't the last time I sinned against leadership, but God is my witness. I have always called back leadership and repented. It blows my mind that people can sin against me or others in this church and not do what I've had to do when I've sinned against leadership. And I've been there to know what I did to them and what others done to me. And I'm not trying to make myself out to be better than all these other leaders, but I'm just saying it's so small in comparison. I had leaders literally abuse me, like mentally and physically, not, not, not uh, thinking about my feelings in any way, not ever saying they're sorry for making me cry, hurting my feelings, telling, calling me names, saying that I was a hireling, questioning if I was even called to ministry, you know, cutting me off for no other reason but the fact that I wasn't good enough for them. I mean, and yet I would repent to them. Others disagreed over strong doctrinal issues, and I knew that I had handled it wrong. I mean, I've been there. I know what it's like, and I love the book by John Bevere, Undercover. It's a great you know, book that he wrote to tell his stories as well, and I can relate to that. And like David serving Saul's, you, you come back and you say, okay, God, I'm here as long as you keep me here. But what I'm not going to do is dishonor this person in a way that takes away the honor you've given them. And God always defends the Davids. Things always work out over time. And God used all of those harsh things in my life for good. And what I thought was rejection and all of that, God showed me that there were people in my life, other good leaders, that I should be putting more trust and more faith into uh, the relationship, more time, letting them build me up instead of looking for it somewhere else. And so I can just tell you, man, I've been there. I've been done wrong, like literally wrong. Like there was no wrong. There was no witnesses of my wrong. And yet I still humbled myself. And yet I see people when there's witnesses of wrong, when there's plurality of things against them, and yet they still go off and they still speak lies and those things and they don't repent. But once again, that shows the difference of heart. And that's why they're not right with God. That's why they're not receiving honor from God. And that's why over time they'll be forgotten in their ministries, just like all the others who came before them. And I've seen this happen too long to, to, to now let it bother me. I don't let it bother me anymore. Early on in the ministry, I used to try to always get back these people. I used to try to compromise, not my values, but I used to try to compromise my uh, protocols. Then they would burn me again and burn me again. Now, my biggest regret is that I didn't get the cattle pulled out and launch them out sooner, you know? So now we kind of have a good balance. We, we try to honor the, the house here and keep everybody safe. And at the same time, we try to honor our relationship with them, even though they don't honor it. We try to say, well, at least let, let's, let's have these last meetings. And when they don't want to do that, that's when we have to put out disfellowship notices. And then the same thing with leaders here. If a leader doesn't want to do the right thing, we'll put out disfellowships towards our leaders. Now, thankfully, we haven't had too many of those. Generally, when people leave our church, they're already in a different place than a place of eldership. And so thankfully, over the many years that we've been doing this, we haven't really had any elders uh, go sideways. And I thank God for that, and we'll just keep doing that. And sometimes the elders do sin, but they are very humble. They're the opposite of this when the elders that I have pastored have sinned. They've come back very repentive, very sorrowful, and they said, I know what I need to do, and I'll do whatever it takes. So let's look at these points in closing. This is where I was going to kind of summarize it, but I think... I did that while we went through the passages, which is okay, right? Five ways to honor godly authority. If I was to summarize what we all went through in these passages. Number one, follow their lead with humility. Follow their lead. Just, Lord, you brought me here. I trust you. It's a faith issue. I trust you where you're leading me even though I don't see it. There's good evidence that they're my leaders. You've brought me here. You've showed me your spirit. Uh, you, you've blessed me with your spirit through the, these, these leaders. And so until I have a reason otherwise, I'm going to follow and lead, let them lead me with humility. Number two, don't be petty, rebellious, or divisive. That's where that big word kind of like submit comes in. We, we don't make everything a major issue. We allow the minor issues to be the minor issues. Number three, be the best disciple you can be in their ministry. Really go hard for Jesus. Jesus and show them that it's not about you doing it for them. It's about you doing it for Jesus. I mean, really, how much of a place do I have in your life? 
Like if you think about your, yourselves, you know, like everybody here. Okay, I preach, if you come to one service, which most of you only do unless you're in the band, I preach to you for an hour because the band does the most of the part of the service, right? So literally, I'm talking like this one hour, and then if you're in chapel, I talk to you again another hour a couple times a month. That's it. That's it. Now, you might say you read my books or whatever, but that's not me. That, that's just information. Now, you could still honor that or dishonor. I get that, but like, what, what are you really doing for me? Not really doing much. Now, you might have a life group leader. You see more or somebody like that. But then well, how much do you see them? What, two, three times a week? An hour or two? Take it all together, six hours? You're alive 168 hours a week. If we're doing our job right, we're just helping you to live out your Christianity. That's all we're here to do. We're just here to make sure that you've got the right doctrine, that you're living right, that your, your doctrine and your character line up. You know, as we say, the creeds, and your character, they line up, and we're facilitating your ministry, as the Bible says. The fivefold ministry is given for the works of service so that you could go out and do it. That's all we're doing. And I know for us, we've been a little bit bottlenecked with a lot of graduates and not a lot of church plants yet, even though we've had them on the board. But God is our witness. We have tried to launch out before, and it didn't work quite right. And some of you who might be envious in a good way of me pastoring at a young age, don't realize I shut down two out of the three churches I started. This is the third one you're a part of. Okay, so I've shut down churches too. So I don't, I don't want anyone to go through that. That's what we're trying to do. And then even now in our internship, we expanded it to if you want to still be MPI but not wait around for us to try to get you more resources, you're free to go. You're still able to use our, our resources, consider yourself an MPI. We just know we can't give you out of the, the budget what we don't have. And some who saw our reports might be like, man, you guys had 65000 extra this year. That is nothing compared to our budget. Our budget's right around twenty or 30000 If we had one or two months, that would blow us up. We're trying to do what our elders have given us to do, which is save up six months of budget so that we won't have what we had before when we had issues. You guys tracking with me when I tried to get wild for Jesus. So I, I always say that not to my own defense, but just so that you can trust me to be the best that you can be. No one is holding you back. We have never wanted to just hold you back because sometimes they mock us and they go, why aren't you guys supposed to be starting all these churches? You got SUM students. You've been doing that all these years. Where's all these churches? I'm like, first of all, why aren't you here helping us do it? Number one. And number two, we're trying to be faithful to what God gave us to do. I don't know a shortcut beyond this. And every time these guys go and start those shortcut churches, they always have them fall apart. I could tell you about another one I just heard about the other day as he was a, a, a student of mine in the, the SUM time when I was teaching. And then he asked me some things about marijuana and all of that. And then he, I asked him about the church. And then he said, uh, you know, at the fall, the beginning of the year, it was really tough. A lot of these guys, I mean, they have these big launches. They have all the slick marketing. But then they realize, like, over time, like, 20 or 30 people can leave just like that on you, man, because that's all you were to them. I've never had a church split like that. Never. Even our biggest group, just maybe, what, a few families at the most. You know, it's nothing compared to what these guys go through. And then they live through I watched my one friend live through. His worship leader left, and another thing went down. They get so depressed, they don't get out of bed. One, one of my pastor friends I look up to so much, he lost 200 people in one, one split, and he said he didn't get out of his room for like a month or so. He had to become on depression medication. You know what I'm saying? It messes with these guys' heads because they were building on sand. I mean, they literally thought the sand castle was, was the house at the beach. And when they watched that thing go away, it just blew their mind. Like, oh my gosh, how can this go away? And so I'm trying not to build on that. I'm trying to build on things that last a lifetime. That's why I love it when we hear testimonies, like when we send you guys to the Philippines, then people go, well, we'll pay for your tickets to come back. And that was a great testimony, and I believed you, but we had to call and check on it. And it's so legit right now. So literally, the way I look at it is, there's somebody supporting our mission movement to the Philippines. Like we've sown seed and now it's being harp uh, harvest, reaped. Because I love the Philippines. I want to do so much there and I don't want to just be dependent upon that guy. But it's just a testimony like these, are these things that I've had in my heart for the Philippines even before you guys even knew about going there, we are now seeing fulfilled. We're seeing that fulfilled. It's, it's not just your life on the line with that. It's my life. I've been praying for the Philippines for years. I believe there's something special there. Supply your leader's needs as best as you can and then pray for them. 
It's, it's going to be hard to do that for, for, for me personally because you guys have already given tithes and offerings, and every time you go out with me, I'm going to make sure I pick up that check. But this is what I want you to do. I want you, when you can, to support the other elders and the different leaders of the church to make sure they know you appreciate them. Don't wait for them always to pick up the check. Don't wait for them always to bring the brownies. Do stuff for Lauren. Do stuff for Griselda Berto. Some of those who have labored with you guys endlessly over these past years, Jared, Sue Ellen, let them know how much you appreciate them. You may not have a lot, but the little bit that you have, if you can bring them a coffee or just supply their need in some way, watching their kids, letting them go out on a date night, something special like that, it would mean the world to them. I don't say this to be false humble because then I would be in pride saying this to you, but I mean in all sincerity, I need nothing from you at this point. The church has been so good to us all throughout these years where I want to see the, 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 the honor be more than it's ever been and encourage and challenge. Not say it's not there. I'm just saying encourage and challenge is for that that level of leadership who was once where you are and now they're waiting for their breakthrough they're waiting for their church to plan to come about they're waiting for their time to get you know salary in the church and that's the ones now I want to see be blessed amen because as you start to take care of them and you meet their needs and you do all those fun things for them you're going to have people do that for you amen oh thank you lord for this wonderful time today we ask that we will truly honor godly leadership. We forgive those who have not honored us. We forgive those who have not honored what we do. But, Lord, we honor all the leadership that you've given us. And if we haven't, convict us, help us to make it right. And then teach us to honor uh, as we go forward from here in ways that we can do better. And then help bring people into our ministries that honor us as they honor you so that this cycle of honor can continue so that the gospel can be preached and that there will be nothing bad spoken about us in this generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's bless